The Courage to Lead, episode 109. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Uh, help me welcome Dr. Ian Brooks. Ian Brooks is an executive coach and psychologist. He is the CEO and founder of Rhodes Smith Consulting, focused on developing organizational leaders and helping people reach their full potential. Ian works with executives from Nike, Warner Brothers, Shondaland, and more, as well as stay-at-home parents and mid-career professionals helping them achieve meaningful transformation. He's the author of the book, Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story, which is available on Amazon. Ian is an experienced change management expert and a strong business development professional skilled in technical change management, communication, coaching, and leadership development. Ian, welcome to the show. Oh, pleasure to be here. And wow, the way you say that, man, it sounds uh, pretty, it's like, hopefully I can live up to all, all of what you described. I'm sure you can. That was just, <laughs> we just scratched the surface on your, your background. We'll definitely go into more detail on that. Um, to learn more about you, what it is you're doing, um, how you're helping people in your consulting business and stuff. And then we'll talk a little bit about your book. Yeah. We'll talk about uh, courage and leadership and all that good stuff. So, yeah. but before sounds we good. get started, I have some questions for you. Sure. These are the questions uh, listeners know. These are the questions I ask all my guests, questions made famous on the uh, award-winning TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood stars from TV, film, and stage. And if these questions were good enough for the Hollywood elite, they are certainly good enough for my guests. Yes. So if you are ready, sir, I've got 10 questions for you. Yes, I am ready. All right. Buckle in. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is intention, um, intention because it offers in purpose and clarity that we don't necessarily afford ourselves. So intention is my favorite word. Intention. Good job. And we're going to be talking about intention. Yes. After this. All right. What is your least favorite word? My least, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the reason, uh, and that's a phrase, so it's not a word. And it's because, um, I like, I don't know, because it explores possibility, but when people stop and say, I don't know, and they leave it there, they put the accountability on someone else to come up with what they do know. Mm-hmm. And so I say, if they stop it, I don't know, then that's a problem for me. If they say, I don't know, and, and, and now let's go for a exploration, yeah. then that's the person I need to be talking to. And Absolutely. 100%. So, 100% agree. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Question three, what turns you on? Ooh, um, creativity and possibility. And it says it leads to that. I don't know is because we're afforded one life and doing the best we can uh, forces us to break our mold. So I just, the possibility of what we can be and what we can do and that creativity that we afford ourselves is so, so, uh, uh, exhilarating. So that's it. Perfect. That's awesome. What turns you off? Ooh, being boxed in. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite of that creativity, um, being defined <laughs> in that box. Yep. All right. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Um, laughter. 
uh, it warms the soul. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Question six, what sound or noise do you hate? Whining. (laughs) (laughs) There really is no better word than that. For, for what that <laughs> right. is. Yeah. Whining. Explanation not required. Exactly. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Um, it it has a S and has a <laughs> has a sh and it and at the end. Because okay. <laughs> we all step in it sometimes. And uh, well Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What what uh profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know what I would love, you know, I always loved being a thought about being a race car driver and it'd be so fun to like be in formula one and at the top end of being a race car driver. And those are the cars. And that would be outstanding to just hop in one of those cars and just drive around a track. Um, yeah, that's it. Very cool. Um, question nine, what profession would you not like to do? Um, to be an ER doctor. Um, Talk about I stress. respect <laughs> the heck out of those individuals and being prepared or being trusting himself of knowing what's coming in, but um, I would not be able to do that. Wow. All right, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? If heaven exists and it existed, and upon my arrival there, I would hope that God would say, you maximized with what you were given. You created with a sense of possibility and you cared for others more than you cared for yourself. Good job. And so, lived with intention. And lived with intention. Absolutely. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. All right. Um, Ian, we're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to talk about uh, how you got your start, how you went from the psychology side into the organizational development side, all about organizational change. Uh, We'll talk about your book and whatever else comes up. Sounds great. Okay, listeners, we're going to talk about all that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Dr. Ian Brooks. Ian, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's good to talk to you today. You're out on the West Coast, right? Yes, Harlan. I'm uh, out here of uh, Los Angeles. Nice. I grew up in uh, Southern California, out in the San Fernando Valley. I'm a Valley kid. Okay. So, well, very nice. <laughs> know the and, area. You know, it, um, I'm sure it, uh, it's still probably the same as you left it. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. It was funny because, you know, they say you can never go back home. I actually tried to go back and drive down uh, the street I grew up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally unrecognizable now. Totally uh. unrecognizable. I bet um, both, both from um, what you saw and probably uh, your experience, um, yeah. <laughs> the way you probably look at it in, in now compared to then as well. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. But change is constant, right? Yes, we that it is. It's the one thing right. that we can always count on. <laughs> All right. So you've got um, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in psychology, yes. right? Yes. And then you went and got a PhD in organizational development. Tell yes. me about that. How did you meet or, or match those two disciplines? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. So, you know, I, I found that the match was fairly seamless. Um, I think the first uh, point of similarity is that obviously they're in psychology and, and dealing with people. And as we think about the context of people going from a clinical setting to an organizational setting, we all have the same basic needs and wants. Um, we all are striving to be better. Now, what differs is where our starting points are and how we got there. So from a clinical setting, um, obviously, or maybe not necessarily as obviously, having worked in a 24-hour lockdown ward, working mm -hmm. with adults, and then having the opportunity to work with children and adolescents, they're coming for different reasons. So mm -hmm. from the 24-hour lockdown ward context, they're coming there because they are just trying to break even. Um, from the child and adolescence perspective, doing intelligence testing and um, personality testing for, for them. Um, it was just around where they are at that moment. Um, making the transition to organizations, we're starting from a different starting point. Um, they're quote unquote higher functioning um, in certain respects. Um, but they're now managing different expectations. They're oftentimes looking for expansion. So as I made the trend, as I was a clinical therapist and doing one-on-one and uh, in group coaching, um, I decided that, you know, what, I wanted to work with higher functioning people who are really, truly looking for that level of expansion. Um, and so that took me to going into organizational psychology because I still had a love and a passion for helping people because that's the only thing I've always wanted to do, even as starting off as early as a 13-year-old, making the decision that I wanted to be a psychologist and getting a doctorate. And as such, um, when I moved into working with organizations, the um, variability that comes along with working with organizations and executives and leaders and individual contributors. I like dealing with people on a day-to-day -day basis on just them trying to be better, um, moving them outside of their current boxes and helping them expand. Um, what I find very consistent is that the foundation I, I gained from being a clinical therapist really has authored in and offered me the foundation of which I use quite a bit in my coaching practice now of working with leaders and companies and individuals to really see where they're coming from and understand their perspectives. Also acknowledging those are some of the first places we need to address before we can move forward, recognizing that one of our biggest complaints with any change is that there's a lack of ability to sustain it. Yeah. And that sustainment in my mind comes back to how well have you built this into the fabric of who you are? And do you understand also the context of who you are, both in your characters and your capabilities. And if you don't, then whatever you're seeking to change in this very moment is going to be met with some level of resistance and quite frankly, potentially not being able to be sustained. Exactly. A 24 hour lockdown facility that had yes. to be stressful. Um, it, well, it, it definitely was, um, much like those ER doctors, you didn't know necessarily what was coming in. <laughs> um, you had to be prepared for almost anything, right? Yes. You had to be prepared for just about anything. Oh. That's, I, I would say I would never do, uh, never be an ER doctor and quite frankly, would never go back to therapy, <laughs> especially in that type of setting. Wow. Um, although one could argue going into organizations is very similar because you never I know. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you say they're higher functioning. I've been in 
organizations that are not much higher functioning. You know, they, yes. it, it is like a um, a kindergarten almost you know, um, the way people are. Yes, it, it is. It could be definitely volatile and um, just as mature uh, as, as the kindergartners. Um, but yeah, going into that clinical setting, it, you just never knew what was coming through that door. And so you do, did have to be prepared. Um, some people are just coming straight off the street, um, coming off their, uh, who hadn't been on their medication. Um, others were brought in by the police uh, for a number of reasons, and they needed to be checked into a lockdown facility for their own safety and the safety of society. Um, but again, it was very interesting and set, established a foundation of one, what are people really trying to achieve in their lives? And for them, it was just trying to be better. And as I left work one day, um, I just recall thinking to myself, what separates those individuals from myself? And when you boil it right down, or anyone else uh, who I call consider friends, families, colleagues, what separates those individuals from us is just, again, their starting point. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it can be extremely draining when their starting point is a little bit different. And, and it takes a a strong individual, someone with courage, some of that emotional time to really stay in and be with those individuals at length to what, to the extent that they needed it. Yeah. I knew for me, it wore me down. Um, cause I held on to everything that they, that they did and said, and, and as a therapist, there's no way to regurgitate that. Yeah. <laughs> right? You have to be able to compartmentalize, right? You really do. And yeah. so in that respect, I realized how, you know, what made me good, a good therapist and good counselor doesn't necessarily make me a good significant other. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily make me a good business person. Yeah. Didn't make me a good author. And those skills, I, in order for me to expand as an individual, I needed to one, be emotionally available so that I could experience those emotions of what I'm actually hearing from my clients, whomever they may be. Mm -hmm. But also I need to be available to the individuals, my significant others, and as well as the people in my life in a way that I wasn't necessarily showing up as. And so I made the decision as a, as a therapist, as one step to make that transition to leave clinical and go into the organizational side. And while that was a milestone and actually very key in my transition of being a coach and being an author and being a business owner, I'm still learning even to this very moment <laughs> to to remove myself from the training and the, the years of what skills made me a good therapist of being able to listen and, and draw things out versus being able to really expand my own thoughts as well as more particularly articulate them to others and sharing them in ways yeah. that are mutually beneficial. Yeah. But that's one thing, you know, school prepares you, gives you the foundational, the, the, tools that you need, but man, getting out there in the real world and experiencing yes. things and stuff. I know from a, an organizational change management standpoint, you know, there are methodologies that are out there, there are tools and templates out there, and you can learn all that stuff and know mm -hmm. it inside out. Yeah. When you walk into the door at uh, an organization that's going through some change, all bets are off. Yes. You have no idea who you're dealing with. And that's, that's the other thing I wanted to touch on yeah. as a organizational development professional. Mm -hmm. You're not really working with the, I mean, the organization is the people. 
Yes. Right. I'm a business coach. I don't do anything for the business. I work with yeah. the people. It's yes. finding out, like you said, where, what are you struggling with and, and how can I help you get beyond that, that mm-hmm. barrier or whatever it is. So going into the organization, uh, at what level do you go in and, and who do you start working with first? Do you start at the top and kind of figure out what it is they want and then work it out? Yeah. So when I'm typically coming into the, to an organization, it'll come in in two different areas. Um, if I'm looking at it from a pure uh, strategy implementation standpoint, um, say it's a technology implementation that needs to be rolled out across an entire organization, I may work with the executives at that level. So from a VP or senior director level who own the strategy, who own mm-hmm. the plan and helping them develop their engagement plan, the communication plan, their training, understanding the impacts to the audience, mm-hmm. actually going out and having conversations with those audiences to make sure that there's ongoing dialogue and conversation, as well as awareness that help prepare them to go through that particular change. Yeah. You're the um, intermediate sometimes, Yeah, be, be, you know, from the, the shop floor, let's say in the executive team, the executive team says, this is how things work and what we're going to do. And then you turn to the shop floor and they go, we've never done things that way. We do it this way. You know, there's always that disconnect. There's a huge disconnect. And, you know, and and to that very acknowledgement, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well, is is that our executives um, are living lives on paper Mm -hmm. to the extent that their change is on the ROI budgets, on where headcount fall, numbers, numeric. A person's life is actually being changed by process and the tools in which we're now implementing. And they're going through a lot longer journey, one that they didn't necessarily ask for, (laughs) one that they didn't, uh, or if they did ask for it, maybe not in the way that you are actually presenting it. And so now a a leader's skill in their ability to influence and engage and also be able to hear Mm -hmm. while also driving and moving people towards a path of which they want others to go on is extremely important. There's a huge gap between those skills and that expectation to what people live on a day-to-day basis. Because as you mentioned, oftentimes those executives have, have been so far removed from those processes that they don't understand necessarily the, day to, the day-to-day realities of what it takes for someone to actually get through that process. Yeah. And they Thus, don't understand the frustration yeah. that the end users are, are going through, the, the employees yeah. are going through and stuff like that. We always try to explain to the executives that that frustration they're seeing is the difference between expectation and reality. Absolutely. The expectation was, this is what's going to happen. The reality is here's where we are. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't communicated that change effectively, right. If they haven't listened and, and implemented whatever little things that are coming back from the employees and stuff like that, that gap between expectation and reality is going to grow and grow and make that, that change almost impossible impossible. And even if they are able to execute against it, definitely not sustainable. And, and this is where, you know, one of the things that when I, when I come in and I'm sure you do it as well is, is really say that while I can build the best plan, your path is your path. Mm -hmm. And as a leader and as a leadership team, we need to start changing our own behaviors so that realizing that I have a shelf life, (laughs) I'm here to help escort and shepherd a milestone. But what we're doing is building behaviors that extend beyond this milestone so that they can be sustained. You've got to now be able to take that ownership. Now, I can now help build in that plan. I can help demonstrate the steps to take. What I can't do is own it for you. 
yeah. and have that will. And that's really what separates some of the, the really strong leaders that I've been able to mm -hmm. been fortunate enough to work with versus other leaders who weren't as strong. And while we were able to get some things done, in other instances, we weren't because of their own leadership style and their own expectations and the gap between that expectation and reality. And so um, I know a lot of employees are in our current day and age are looking for leaders to now lead from the front <laughs> and being yeah. a part of the group as well. And really being showing a level of empathy and understanding in a way that we maybe haven't necessarily afforded ourselves historically. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think organizations do enough to teach their leaders. You know, a lot of times mm. I'll take somebody who is technically very, very good at what they do and they've been in the company for a number of years, they promote them without giving them the training. There's a yeah. huge difference between managing and leading. Yes. And it's hard for these guys, sometimes people to, to make that transition. Yes. I was recently, we're actually to that very statement. I was working uh, most recently with a gentleman as an example, um, who was great subject matter expert. Um, he really was really good at what he did and he knew the processes backwards and forwards, but he was not a very good manager, much less a leader. Hmm. Um, he was a, a self-proclaimed and action-oriented uh, introvert. <laughs> yeah. um, didn't say a whole lot, did his job, did it well, just knew what to do. Um, someone asked him a question, he would give him an answer, um, but wasn't necessarily always present. Mm -hmm. And to your very statement, a lot of organizations continue to struggle with that. That being not preparing their, their top talent for that managerial role and for those managers to truly become leaders. Um, that gap, I think, is, is even widening even more as we're starting to see organizations collapse and you're seeing combined roles. Um, you really see it within technical sides of organizations. So between that CTO, the CIO, and you go all the way down, guess what? Their, their performance and their value is defined by how well they can code and what level of certifications they have from a systems standpoint. Right. That's a lot different when you're now asking them to lead. Mm -hmm. Lead, number one, other people where you have to show some level of empathy, show, lead, be able to communicate be able to engage, be able to be heard, but also being willing to listen. It's a huge gap. Yeah. Um, and now that we're starting to combine roles where you see the technologists now jumping into the business side, and now everyone now needs to have more strategic, strategic yeah. discussions, strategic thought. Yeah. You're now seeing that people don't know how to flex on either side. Hmm. And that even lends itself to making it more diff challenging to be an employee, number one, but yeah. even more challenging even to lead. Yeah. And so um, there is a true reckoning. Um, and I just wrote an article about this. Uh, there is a true reckoning that organizations are going to now need to go through as they think about developing talent and redefining mm -hmm. what that means and looks like given the shifts in what employees expect, but also the shifts in what technology is enabling for organizations as we move well, forward. And we're in a new era now with uh, the virtual teams. Mm -hmm. It was one thing to try to to manage and lead a, a team that you got to see every day and interact yeah. with every day. Now they're all virtual, and to try to make that engaged, you know, employee, and uh, that's that's got to be tough. Yeah, it's it's extremely tough. Um, and what what's interesting is I was reading an article the other day, and it and the statement came out that um, 
for those who are who are demanding that their employees are asking people to come back into the office, what level of trust does that say about that individual or individuals of whom you're asking to come back? Um, now I get right that in certain roles and certain jobs you need to be in the office because there's you know from a plant standpoint, process mm-hmm. standpoint, if you're in utilities, guess what? You're going to be out <laughs> and working with people. That's sure. just the nature and the, the dynamic of the job. But when but that was always true. <laughs> right. Yeah. The pandemic did not have that impact. It's in those roles that were impacted by the pandemic that were enabled to be done remotely and virtually. And now you're asking them to come back. The question now must be asked, where is that demonstrating the trust? Because oftentimes what we're starting to see is that those of whom we're asking to come back into the office has less to do about their job and more, more about that particular individual. Do I trust them enough to do the job that they can do remotely? Right. And leaders are now having a reckoning behind mm-hmm. that, right? Of Absolutely. one, how do you engage employees in that respect? But secondly, to your very statement, um, how do I how can I make sure that there's that level of care and empathy that I can demonstrate yeah. and also understand the dynamics of my own team and how we can move them forward? Yeah. And, and when we were consulting, my wife and I are consultants. So we would go, we travel to the client site. We'd be there during the week, fly home on the weekends, right? We do that for yeah. six, eight months at a time. We used to do what we call the drive-by, where we just kind of walking down the halls. You see a manager in their office, you'd stop and chit chat with them, have a mm-hmm. cup of coffee with them and, and mm-hmm. kind of gauge how are they doing with this transition? How are things working? Things like that. Yeah. Um, managers at these shops would be able to walk out, talk to their employees, see how they're acting, mm-hmm. interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. They've got to find a way to do that effectively over Zoom or Teams or whatever it happens to be, whatever tool they're using. They have to be able to, to continue to do those um, those drive-bys, you know, have that engagement with their employees and stuff. Yeah, they, they, they do. And, and having lived that life, um, so for five or for 10 years, I worked 100% remotely, and this was prior to COVID. Um, I was also a manager of those within those 10 years, five of those years, I was managing a team of 25 people remotely. And my closest uh, employee was, um, a three hours drive away from me. And so they're from coast to coast and they supported some, you know, 12 to 14 different call centers at the time. Um, and so imagine I can't be everywhere at once. (laughs) Some people are, uh, getting in an office at a.m. It's five o'clock in the morning here out in the, out here on the West coast. And clearly, so I don't know what time they've gotten in. So, you know, one of the things that was extremely important for me was to make sure that I was always, that I was present and available to them during their time. That didn't mean every day. That didn't mean every moment, but that needed, I needed to demonstrate that I was available during their time and during, and that I was present. I exhibited that by sometimes I did get up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And sometimes I, in those moments, I scheduled my meeting during that time, our one-on-one time yeah. with them. So they knew I was right there with them and available during their start of their day so that they knew I'm here. Um, and sometimes we didn't talk about work. It was just, let's just have a conversation. It always started with how was your weekend or how but was see, yesterday? Those are the conversations that mean the most and, and really uh, have that, that engagement yeah. gel with them. You know, it's those type of things, you know, you, you bump into somebody in the coffee room and you chit chat for a little while. How are the kids? Hey, mm-hmm. how's a new puppy or whatever. 
those are the things that, that kind of endear you to the employees and stuff. And I think having to work in this remote environment, if you don't do that specifically, just call somebody or ping them and say, Hey, how's it going? You lose that. Yeah. It's I mean, just checking in on them. Um, I think over the last 18 months, we've seen a, a lot of managers and leaders be forced to actually do that. Now, what is going to be a true calling card is what happens over these next 18 months mm-hmm. and what is sustained? Okay. How have we built better friendship, better trust, better teamwork as our true measures versus I just happen to show up? Yeah. It's it's very telling when you know obviously we have the great resignation you know being being taking place now, and what is that truly a mark of? Oftentimes we're defining it as people leave organiz- managers rather than they leave organizations. Yeah. So if that's truly the case, how well are managers doing now? Yeah. And. If that's the case, if that's if we if we want to go along with a couple of those assumptions where empathy is really going to be extremely important, being authentic in our conversation, talking about development plans, not painting people in boxes of which now managers and leaders and hell, even me as a manager, hey, we've got a scorecard we can, your employees oh, yeah. have to meet. Um, the heck with the niceties. Yeah. Um, that's even more so apparent with smaller businesses, much, much less the bigger ones. It's now, how are we leading in a different way? And I, I don't know if we've built it into the fabric of who we, and I say we as leaders are yeah. to be able to move forward. No, but I think we, that's something you definitely need to, need to um, be, be conscious of, Absolutely. intentional with it, right? Yes. Because yes. Um, having, so having worked in, in virtual environments a lot, to me, to build trust in the team I set expectations. Mm-hmm. Here's what we need, when we need this done. Mm-hmm. If you have any questions or run into any mm-hmm. roadblocks, let me know. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I want this delivered Friday. If they deliver it, I you know, praise them. Now mm-hmm. they know, hey, I trust them. They trust me right. and everything is good. If I'm constantly paying them, what do you do now? How come you haven't been right. online for a while? How come your camera's turned off? It's like, right. if you don't trust me, I... You know, the, the, the disengaged employee costs U.S. companies thousands and thousands of dollars every year, you know, Absolutely. millions of dollars a year. Yeah, and, millions, yeah, not thousands, yeah, yeah millions, millions, upon millions. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's something we, we need to do. And one, um, going back to a quote you had in your book, um, and you'll know this quote, right? It is not the most intellectual of the species that survives. It's not the strongest that survives, but the species that survives is the one that is able best to adapt Mm -hmm. and adjust to the changing environment in which it finds itself. Yes. Managers and leaders today need to adapt and adjust. Yeah. And and I, I, I would say there's an and to that. And I'd say that the and to me is, what the last 18 months has demonstrated is that our leaders and managers still didn't have the capabilities to lead and manage then. They didn't have the right foundation. So just as the quote said, right? Uh, their ability to adapt is based off of a solid foundation, yeah. not having the course correct because of an event, i.e. the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Those organizations 
those leaders that have found the most success already had instilled solid foundational capabilities, a la communication, engagement, listening, development, support, empathy. Those weren't catchphrases. They weren't items to be checked off your employee engagement box. That's who they were. And that's why the people stayed. Recognizing that we're seeing this again, that a lot of leaders don't have those solid just foundation and capabilities because to put a pin in this real quickly, capabilities are transferable to any situation. (laughs) Behaviors and abilities are transferable. How you leverage them and when you leverage them is dependent upon the situation and the context, a la COVID. Your communication is still the same. The context has changed now that it's over Zoom Mm -hmm. or Teams or whatever platform you may use. But your ability and clarity to communicate is always the same. Your transparency, your engagement, that's still the same. It's just now how is it presented? Those who are failing didn't have the capabilities in my context. And what I've seen over the last 18 months, those who struggle the most didn't have the strongest capabilities to begin with. Wow. So the companies you're working with, are they looking to bring everybody back? Um, um not necessarily. Or? Yeah, not necessarily. Um, it's about now what's the hybrid. And um, obviously that's the new, now the trend of how yeah. do you balance between bringing people in, but also allowing them to work remotely. I think what, what this underscores is now what are our work processes mm-hmm. and how does that now align with our abilities to come into and work in a hybrid type environment. Um, what, what also that underscores, that only takes on the context of the organizational idea and model that we've always had. What we now are now seeing a huge influx of is what's the employee experience and they have more weight, (laughs) um, in this conversation, a la what is their life and work balance, not work-life balance, but life is more important to them. Sure. They're now driving the decision on whether they want to come back in or not, Mm -hmm. not just because an organization says, yes, you need to come back. And so now this puts the the impetus in the position of power, not to say that it's equal, because obviously companies have a a right to hire, right to fire, right to do what they want. That is their right. But what is also empowering and what we're now seeing a lot more of even with this great resignation being a, a an example of it yeah. is that the employees have the power as well of what's right for me and that me is more important than you in well, that and that's you the organization you know and everybody calls it the great resignation mm-hmm. and i see that as that exercise of that power i was t- yeah. I had a lady on the uh the podcast the other day and we talked about really it's the great reevaluation yeah, because the employees are now reevaluating. Do I want to be stuck working for that company? Mm-hmm. I've, I've worked here. I've been productive from home. I've probably worked more hours than I used to going to the office, yeah. and it hasn't been acknowledged. It hasn't yeah. been appreciated. I feel like they don't trust me, so I'm reevaluating everything. Do I want to do that, or do I want to go where I can be kind of location independent? Absolutely, and yeah, I actually uh, I wrote an article. Uh, about this um, as well, and that the p- pandemic created employee empowerment in a way that a lot of companies are trying to walk back now. Yeah. Um, you know, go back to the cube, go back to the box. Um, that's what companies are saying, you know, by coming back into an office, 
you know, employees don't want that anymore. They're not wired to come back now. Um, and now companies are now forced for their own reconciliation to balance individual needs with a broader stroke of consistency yeah. of how they develop talent. How can they make sure that they have that same ROI for shareholders and stakeholders? Um, and going back to my statement, it, you know, companies are now even going down to the individual level because I've seen individuals be let go as a result of not coming back. Mm -hmm. But what message does the, the company say is that I trust someone more to work from home versus someone who you want to come back into that office? Yeah. And now, what does that mean? Yeah. And it's, a, it's, a, it's something that organizations, as we think about culture, as we think about consistency and intention and how they build growth, um, that I don't think companies are prepared for because everything that we're seeing from the research and the studies on why companies cannot hire the right people while people are not, uh, in, uh, potential employees are not taking jobs, the great resignation, we're seeing that the companies are trying to bring people back into the same processes and right. ideas of which were formally made 18 months ago. They have not prepared themselves. And I say they, I'm, I'm really looking mm -hmm. at HR. I'm really looking at the business, sure. you know, saying guys, and I say guys, holistically right. guys, gals, <laughs> yep. so, uh, get to go down that path. But it, it's a function of everyone just recognize that you need to change as well, but you're asking people to come back in a situation that you have not prepared yourself for. And yeah. now you have a reckoning to do. Yep. So what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Well, it, it creates opportunities for people like you and me. Yeah. To step in and say, hey, guys, <laughs> we need to start looking at this a little differently. Yeah. Um, there's a common misperception. Mm -hmm. You probably heard it. Everybody says people hate change. Mm -hmm. I personally don't agree with that. Right. I don't, uh, people don't hate change. They hate being changed. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree with that. Um, one is a, is, is one being changed is that I had, didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm changing, I do have a choice in that. Right. Or input um, at least, at the very least. Uh, yeah, input. I have an yeah. input in that. I, I, this is my journey. I, I, would, I would contend that people don't like the process of change. They like the end result of which change hopefully makes. Right. So as an example, they see the end result of getting the VP title. They see the end result of getting the results of 20 sales this week. They see the end result of losing the 10 pounds. They see the end result of, of fitting into whatever right. outfit. That's what they want. So they want to change for that mm -hmm. milestone. What they are fearful of and don't want is the process of change of what it would take to actually get it done. Right. It's, I, and I even put it in my book as well, because I think it's extremely important is when you start to document the details of success, you've now defined the criteria for defeat. Mm -hmm. And so we start to define the criteria for success being the 10 pounds, the VP title, the new car, the, the 10 sales, whatever that might be. Should you not achieve that now in the end, you've actually documented the steps to actually get there. You've now put a recipe and the steps for shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
my favorite word, that I, <laughs> I did not get there. Right. And now why go through it? And that's daunting for people. That's well, it can be, but that, that recipe also allows you then to say, here's where I went off track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you really want that goal, if you really yeah. want that result, you'll try again. And this time you'll pay yes. better attention. Absolutely. And that takes their perseverance. Mm-hmm. That takes our commitment. That takes also confidence. And a lot of us don't, those are the capabilities that we're building, right? It's not the plan. It's not the end result. It's that confidence. It's the trust. It's the using failure as a place of reference, not of resident. Right. It's being vulnerable and being okay, not knowing, but figuring it out, asking for help. Those are the things that make it scary because then it's like, oh, wow. I've got to do all these things just, yeah. just to do this one thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then that's when you get the deep breaths, right? Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. It, you know, and that, and that's when we get into organizations where, you know, we have our executives just saying, Hey, they bring us in to help their teams do this. Mm-hmm. Those that say help their teams do it because they're not, <laughs> they're not changing. Well, like right? I said, a lot of times you have to start with them. They have yes. to be very clear of their vision of what's going on. They have to be very clear about the path that they want to take. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to communicate it because you're not a leader yeah. if you don't have people following you, right? You Absolutely. have to have that clear vision and have Absolutely. those people follow. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so your book is about intention. Yes. What, what is it about the intention? Is it that we lack the intention that we're just allowing things to happen to us? What exactly is the you know, the, yeah, the- you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's both. Um, as I talk about in the book early on, I think our, I believe our greatest capability and greatest ability is to evolve. Um, it is the one thing we can do consciously or unconsciously. It is the one thing that is agnostic of genetics. It's agnostic of where you grew up, education, money race. Um, it's agnostic of whether we want to or not, mm-hmm. but it's oftentimes defined in our evolution. It's something that happens to us. Mm-hmm. Like we live, we die. That's the truest thing we have. And we're going to, ha- that's going to happen to anything in our life. We all have a shelf life, but when we realize that we want to do something different. And the key word being want, that we're making a conscious choice to do something different. We now have to bring that to the forefront of our minds. That flies in the face of the passiveness of which evolution without thinking about it happens to us and what we just want to happen. No different than people say they want to change. They want the end result of what happens. They don't want that process of what happens and what it takes to do there. Well, and I was going to say that, like you said, we can evolve mm-hmm. intentionally or just by happenstance because evolution happens. Change yes, happens. Yeah. Whether yeah. you want it to happen or not, it's going to happen. And we don't really manage change mm-hmm. to be fair. I don't think we mm-hmm. manage the change. We manage the end result. We manage, yes. right, the the kind of the, the result of that change um, yeah. a lot more. So, yeah, I think that's that's one thing that we don't do is – change is going to happen and we just kind of sit back and let it happen. Well, no, in business, you can't do that. You mm-hmm. have to intentionally set the path for change and direct that path to change. Absolutely. And you have had to be at the forefront of your mind. 
It has to be very intentional about the steps you're taking, going back to your plan, going back to the reasons you're doing what you're doing and the reasons you're not doing certain things, being very purposeful so that there is no question or wiggle room around your actions and your activities. When we take that level of consciousness and just think about that across our a day for ourselves, that could be extremely daunting. And again, it's another reason why people balk at change because it's like the, oh shit, just, just to do that one thing, right. you know, that, that's a lot. Now, to be fair, right, there's different varying levels of intention. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're intentionally tying your shoe, but there's only, I mean, you know, so, so, so not all intention is equal, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, there is always certain levels of that. So, but it's, but when we're really talking about changing something in our lives, building a business, getting people on board, being a better leader, yeah. it takes us being purposeful in that moment. So we're conscious about it. That doesn't mean we're going to be good. It doesn't right. mean that we're not going to scrape our knee. It does mean that, you know, I'm going to do the best I can with the energy and the skills I have right now to, ha- to do what I, what it is my purpose mm-hmm. and intention and learn from it so that again, it is a frame of reference, not of resident. And I can build on that. And that's where we get into our capabilities. That's when we get into our t- intention. And that's when we start to, as you mentioned, start mm-hmm. to really build a change and measure change based on our consistency, not on an end result, not on, and a milestone of which is nothing more than, hey, we did it at an end result point, but our consistency of that behavior of which losing weight, VP title, sales are nothing more than milestones. Right. So can you teach people to be more intentional? And if so, how? Yes, I, I do. Um, within my coaching and when I'm working with my coaches, I do teach intention. I even teach it when I'm doing organizational change um, with, with, with my clients and the roadmaps I build. Um, in particular, and I'll just touch on it from an organizational standpoint, it is controlling the, and I describe it for them from a communication standpoint, as an example, it's controlling the narrative. You already know what your milestones are, regardless of what it is, you already know where you would like them to be. Those dates may move and let them move because guess what, they likely will. What is still true is when you get to that milestone, what would someone need to know, think or do as as a result of that milestone? So let's already write to it. And now let's create the gap of what we now need to clarify. Thus, we can write communications for six months out knowing that these milestones are going to be there. Now we might collapse milestones. We might expand them more, but the steps are still the same. You still need to do these five things to get here. What it also allows us to do by being that intentional within organizations affords us this demographic to say, you know what, we're going to chunk this out. We're not trying to do this, everything, everything at at once, which is also another fallback for many organizations. (laughs) They don't know how to do it all at once. When they think about communication, engaging, engagement, training. They think everything has to be done right now. And that's, again, a recipe for disaster. Could you actually do it? Yes. Have you done it before? Sure. Is it built with success? No. Well, that's like that that whole uh, analogy of of building a plane in flight 
you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it probably could be done. People, somebody's going to get hurt in the process, you know, yes. it's much better to build it structurally. So it's sound and then, you know, add systems and everything. Absolutely. And I even do it with my individual coaches as well. And I talk about it in the context of understanding your purpose and your value, understanding what is, who, what are you really trying to discover and evolve and expand from? Yeah. And is that truly, that's an it, but I'm sure that it is almost like a grain of sand. Um, it could be on the beach someplace, sipping a Mai Tai, <laughs> looking at the blue water, yep. or that could be someplace in the middle of my, you know, the desert stuck, yeah. wish you were by some water. Right. Um, but that's just merely a grain of sand. And, and, and so, but we look at everything in that context. So let's discover really, what are we really solving for until so we can build the right foundation. The second piece behind that, after that discovery and the second part of the capability I asked my coaches and even my readers in my book to uncover is who are you? Let's build this into the fabric of who you're, who you are as a person, like your characters, your, you know, the person that you show up to as every day, not that you're a brother or a VP or significant other or dad, or those are, those are titles bestowed to us based off of hierarchies and things in life. It's that, Hey, I'm Mr. Degree. Cause I've got two degrees, in three separate certifications. Well, and that, how does that offer a source of validation of way I look at life right? <laughs> in certain situations? That's my character, Mr. Tasmanian devil, right? Cause if someone comes in here and tears up everything, every time they step in, yeah. step into a meeting, that's their character. Yeah. Let's own our character, but we're building to that awareness and consciousness and teaching people to, to recognize that that's okay to be those characters. Now they might have outlived their purpose, mm -hmm. but they've kept us in a survival mode. And so we can recognize our characters in the context of how we want to expand. We then can build a plan that's more authentic to who we are and build to our true purpose. And you can build that skill over time, but it takes repetition and consistency yeah. and different situations. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's how I, that's how I teach it. Uh, Very cool. Always. So, so the podcast is about courage, yeah. courage to lead. Yeah. Um, where did you find the courage to, to step away from the nine to five to kind of create your own consulting company? Where did you get that courage? You know, for, for me, it's, it started off with a uh, 15 minute conversation, ironically. Mm -hmm. um, and just for some context, uh, yeah, I was working in, at an organization and they're going through, you know, it's during the, uh, um, uh, the housing crisis and, uh, no different than the, a lot different than the pandemic, but not too different in a number of ways. Um, and so this organization was going through a number of changes and, um, their MO, their, their MO was, um, when they were going to do a change, they would send a 15 minute calendar invite or a calendar invite 15 minutes before it was supposed to happen hmm. with you and your boss or now you were the only two on there. So you didn't know who was actually on the other end of this, on the hmm. other end of that call. And so you would go to that meeting and you would basically know your fate. So one day I got, got this 15 minute. And now I knew this because I had, I saw it previously. I was on the other end of all that good stuff. Um, helping curate number of those conversations, but then it was my turn for that 15 minute conversation. And, um, 
my the manager sent the meeting and it was just she and I on the call. So I was like, well, this, you know, we'll see if I if I'm yeah. seeing her going. And she acknowledged that the company was going through changes. And she said that there were going to be job changes and that some people were going to be let go. I was like, well, I'm, I just know it's going to be me. Um, she said, no, you're staying. Um, in fact, we need to give you a new job. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, okay, what's the, when's it start? When does it go? And she said, well, it starts Monday. Now, mind you, we're having this call on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, let's, what would I be doing? She's like, you go into a new team. You're going to be sharing the team with someone else. I said, okay, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> um, this is kind of new and no other group has this set, set up. Um, when I started that job, after that 15-minute conversation, something became very apparent to me. Uh, number one, that the nature of an employee is one that is very contractual and one to the benefit of an organization. Mm-hmm. And is that a position I necessarily wanted to be in? Secondly, if that answer was no to that question, and if it's okay, it was okay if I said yes, you know, that's a choice. But if I said no to that question, what would I need to do or know or be prepared for? In the next instance of another 15-minute conversation. And I said, okay, what are the skills I need? And so let's take inventory, the skills I have and need, and let's, let's look for other positions. Let's look for other jobs and see what I needed. And so that started me down a journey of one acknowledging I already had the skills and abilities to do what I wanted to do. And that was coach, help organizations change. There was no organization that was going to offer me any educational experience that I would need to call myself an employee for that I couldn't necessarily do on myself. And anything that I needed to learn, i.e. business development, learning the management money, the taxes stuff, I wasn't going to be doing that being a W-2 employee. So I said, you know what? While I do have a job after this 15-minute conversation, this may not be short, this might be short-lived and I need to prepare myself as such. Yeah, the and writing's so that, on the wall at that point, right? Absolutely. It's just yes. a matter of when, not if. Um, and so I prepared myself for that. And I started uh, my consultant business after that. And fast forward five years after that, there was another 15 minute conversation and I was eventually let go, but I'd already prepared myself with my business and the context of the skills that I needed and surrounding myself with the support that I needed to get, get things done to make sure that I did not find myself. Where did that courage come from? I'm because most people, they have that conversation and they say, you know what? they don't like me anymore. I'm never going to last here more than a few weeks. So yeah, they would go to another job, another nine to five yeah. because that's the comfort zone. Yeah. You decided to walk the other direction. Where did Absolutely. that come from? Um, did you find I, that courage? The first part is uh, trust. I think that's one of our key areas of, of courage for any leader or any individual. Um, do you trust yourself enough? And to actually move forward. If you don't have that courage, I can almost guarantee you, you will not be able to move forward at all. It is 
with said trust, it's also holding myself accountable. Um, we often find courage that you also have to fight, right? Uh, but accountability of saying, you know, what worked, what didn't, affording myself a chance to step back and reflect. So when I first started my business, it was like, okay, let's make sure that because I don't know everything about the business side. I'm a good leadership development coach. I'm a good coach. I'm good at all those things, right? Yeah. Work change. This business side, eh, not so much, right? <laughs> but I was committed to it because, and I trusted myself to know, number one, what I knew, but I also trusted myself enough to know what I didn't know right. and ask for help. Nice. I held myself accountable also to put myself in a situation so that I couldn't go back, right? Sometimes we, we give ourselves parachutes all the time. Like, yeah. oh, well, I tried it once and I'm out. Um, I call it the wildly coyote effect, right? right. Wildly coyote <laughs> never did the same, use the same contraption twice to catch that, the, uh, to catch that coyote. Yet he was always starting from scratch. He never gave himself the benefit of learning on the job. So, th so because of that, guess what? He had a new contraption, which is always fun, but he yeah. never caught the coyote. For me, I had to trust myself enough and be committed enough to go down this path and be comfortable being vulnerable yeah. with that failure, with the loss, but also be comfortable with that success too. And so those are the parts of, of, of courage, trust, commitment to, my, to myself and courage of being vulnerable that really stood out to me of, of taking that step after that 15 minute conversation. Yeah. And like I said, being honest with yourself and saying, this is not something I excel at. So I will find somebody else to help me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you said at one time you had uh, about 25 yeah. people working for you yeah. uh, remotely and stuff like that. If yeah. I was to bump into any one of those folks on the street and ask them about you and what type of leader mm -hmm. you were, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, when, when, uh, I know you posed that question to me before and I gave it some thought, you know, my back when I had my team of 25, um, they actually created an Ian day, um, for me to, to celebrate me and heck even gave me a gift card nice. that they mailed to me. Um, and as part of that gift card, they gift card, they, they actually sent over a, a presentation of, of just of, of things of, of my contribution to them. And if you were to run into my employees today or one of my employees, um, they would say that I cared. And this is also referenced uh, also in the card as well, um, as I think back to it, but they said I cared. Um, they said that we were truly a team and that I would fail with them and succeed with them. That I was someone who could listen and understood their position, that we were partners, not defined by a hierarchy, but partners defined by a purpose. Nice. And because of that, um, I truly say those five years supporting them, and oh yeah, by the way, this aligns to that 15 minute conversation and the team I took over. <laughs> after that conversation. And quite frankly, the only reason why I stayed at that organization as long as I did was for my team. Nice. And, well, not for them. They didn't need me. It was because of my team yeah. and the joy I had partnering with them. 
I can truly say that was a truly enjoyable experience of, of partnership and leadership that really underscored what I bring to the table to my clients, but also what I experienced of what can be possible. Nice. And that's what you want in a team, that mutual respect, the mutual trust. That's, that's what builds the, the culture. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's and, awesome. and that trust isn't, is, comes with time. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think the key word that, that really brought home the trust for my team was while I, you know, while we flippantly say, I'm willing to fail with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. How many people really do that? Right. No, um, I'm willing to fail with you while I stand over here. You're right. That's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you in spirit, not in right. reality. Now, so in context, really my, my team and their scorecard and their performance rolled up into my performance. So their, their measures of success, their, uh, with their clients and so forth was nothing more than I got an aggregate of that. So if they fail, guess what? I truly did fail. But I told my team early on, I need you guys to be better because when I got them, I mean, they're just all over the place. And I said, no, this, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I know it's not going to be fun. I know you're experts in these two things, but I need you to be expert in three things and really good at the other two. Right. (laughs) And that's what I need for you. But I know that's going to take time. I know that's going to take failure. I know it's going to impact your performance. I get it. It's going to impact mine as well. But I am here with you and for you. Now, did they, a lot of, some of them fail? Yeah. And I was there with them, but that built the trust because I was authentic. I lifted. And that also brought in people then coming in talking about their family lives and mm-hmm. other things that, that we would talk about and so forth. But that you, you, you that's what a true partner is. That, and we don't necessarily need to be I like I, for my clinical patients. I don't need to be bipolar to be there with you. Right. 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 I, don't, right. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. It does mean that I understand where you're at and that I'm here and that mm-hmm. we're going to go through this together and I'm not leaving you behind we're going to build on this, but you have a choice in this, right? You have a choice. I can only take you so far. You've got a choice in this. And to their credit, they all stepped up nice. because they showed, I showed them that I was there with them. I was also, I trusted them enough and I was confident enough in them that I knew they could do it, even if they didn't have it themselves. And that's what's something that uh, I truly, again, I can't speak uh, those five years with, with that team. And it's, yeah, yeah, it was just an amazing time and amazing people. Um, to say the least. That's awesome. Yeah, it's not often that you get a team like that. So that's yeah, that's not cool. not often. It wasn't always it wasn't always puppies and babies. Believe me, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things would make you smile, but man, I tell you, it was uh, we had we had a good time. Now we had a good, good time. Good deal. Good deal. Well, Ian, this has been phenomenal. I I really enjoy talking to people, especially people engaged in uh, organizational change because it's so important and it's something that a lot of businesses kind of overlook. Um, they don't do it well. They don't do it as, as deeply and as uh, intentionally as they should. Um, so I love having conversations like this. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about, um, what you're doing, where can they find you? What's your website? Um, for your audience, I can be reached at roadsmith.com. That's R H O D E S S M I T H.com. Um, on that website, they'll see a copy of this podcast, as well as other podcasts I've participated in, um, offering thought leadership, as well as all articles I've written as well. Um, also on that website, um, you'll find access to my book, Intention, 
building capabilities to transform your story, um, as well as offerings I do from an organizational as well as personal coaching. Um, also, uh, and last but not least, because you can't be without your social media, um, that site offers access um, to my social media um, on Instagram as well as Twitter. That's Dr. B underscore intention. And I'm on Facebook as well as LinkedIn under Ian D. Brooks. Very cool. Good job. Well, I will have all of those links uh, down in the show notes so people can look you up. Uh, definitely um, recommend Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. Good book. Thank you, sir. It has Thank been you, great. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. And uh, listeners, hope you guys have been taking notes because there's a lot of good takeaways from this. Um, check out the website, check out the book and uh, yeah, be intentional. Very cool. All right. If you appreciated and like this episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now.